Welcome to the Generous Marriage Podcast. I'm Ziv Raviv. And I'm Shachar Erez. And together we are going on a journey to explore the world of a generous relationship. And today we have the pleasure of interviewing Alison Armstrong. Alison Armstrong is like the prophet of, of making relationship work. And like the, the whole idea that maybe people are not misbehaving. Maybe there's an, actually re- an actual reason why they behave the way they behave. I love her work. Um, I actually learned about her work originally from you, Shachar. Yeah, funny. I thought I learned about her from you. <laughs> no, no, right, right. Now I remember. I did uh, tell you about it. Uh, because of the Queen's Code, I had a client that read the Queen's Code and completely changed Uh, her way of uh, interacting with men, I was shocked. I was amazed. She's really, wow, I'm so excited about this uh, interview today. And the Queen's Code is uh, Alison's book where she, she literally teaches you how to identify you know, differences between most of the men and most of the women. And it is really a generous way of living to give each other space. And Alison, in this interview, really digs deeper uh, and shares some more advanced ways of how you can create an effective partnership. Let's see you at the other end when, uh, after the interview, we want to emphasize a few of the points. See you. Yeah, enjoy. Enjoy. Welcome to the Generous Marriage Podcast. Fight less, feel appreciated, and have a deeper connection with your spouse. And now your hosts, Shachar Erez and Ziv Raviv. Hello, 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 Alison Armstrong. Oh my God, I'm so excited to have you here as an interviewee of the Generous Marriage Podcast. Hello, Shachar. Hello, Alison. Hi. Hello, hello. So exciting to have you here with us. Thank you. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. We are really honored of having you here. We mention you quite often in the show and in our webinars. We absolutely love your approach. I really think every man in this world needs to know of you because you are our biggest champion. And we want to ask you a few questions. So thank you for taking the time to meet with sure. us. Ask me anything. Awesome. I want to give you a heads up. We collected quite a few questions also from people that listen to the Generous Marriage Podcast, but also from people that are your students in the Understanding Men program on understandingmen.com. And I think it will be interesting. We'll start with our questions and then we'll move at the end to some of the questions that we've collected. So we would like to start the discussion from the point of generosity, because that's the angle that we are always looking for. We're trying to establish an entire toolbox of tools that people can use in their lives to create more generosity with the relationships. And you seem to be quite a champion for men and have shown huge generosity uh, in your life to men through understanding them and through helping them even understand themselves better than what they understand by themselves sometimes. So I wonder if you have to pay a price for that generosity with women and if you've been maybe even subject to attacks about your opinions. 
Mm. Oh, boy. <laughs> the second part is a really quick answer. It's the first part about generosity that, oh, my gosh, we could just talk the whole time about what generosity is and where it comes from and what it does and how do you cause yourself to be able to be generous on purpose. And we could just go that whole place. The second part, I was advised many years ago to not read my own press. <laughs> and one time that I did was when Robin Quivers, do you know who Robin Quivers is? I don't. Um, she's Howard Stern. Robin Quivers and Howard Stern, she's his gal that's been interacting with him for three decades on the air. Wow. And when Robin Quivers did our workshop, she went on the air the next week and went public, went public with having spent the weekend with Alison Armstrong and went public with having given up the right to emasculate men forever. And she apologized to Howard and to all the men on the staff and for all the things that she had done to emasculate them and diminish them and in ways she'd made fun of them and and name specific incidences. And she asked them, the men, if they would be her coach, would they be her coaches? Because she was committed to breaking this habit now that she was aware of that she did it and the damage that it did. Wow. Yeah. So within a few hours, there was an article in the San Francisco Chronicle. And <laughs> Sekhar, are you being in... Berkeley, right? You would yeah. know the San Francisco Chronicle. I do. And it was bemoaning this declaration of hers and that she'd been with Alison Armstrong and how stupid it was. But the funniest thing about it was they called me, they said that she was with relationships guru, Alison Armstrong. And, <laughs> and then the whole rest of the article just slammed me, right? And how ridiculous what I'm proposing that men are wonderful it is but all i was left with was wow i just got promoted <laughs> that's pretty hot san francisco chronicle promoted me to guru wow should i feel different about myself <laughs> oh, man. yeah i've had people think i was ridiculous i've been misquoted so many times i've had I know someone who calls me the woman who's trying to get women to give up their power. And which is crazy because what I'm most appreciated for by women is how empowered they are. Do you ever read the book Illusions? Do you know the book Illusions by Richard Bach? Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow, long time ago. Yes, long time ago. There's a line in there that says, live your life in such a way that if anything you said or did was printed in a newspaper, you wouldn't be embarrassed. Right? So I read that. I'm thinking, okay, I better live a fine upstanding life. And then the next line was, even if what's printed isn't true, well, that changes everything. Right? It's one of the best things I ever read. I was in my 20s and it's like, oh, I just got to live my life to be true to myself, that I'm not embarrassed by what other people say about me or think about me. I know the truth. That's beautiful. I can't control what they say. That's beautiful. I feel the need to, I have a caveman moment here. So I have, <laughs> I feel the need to, to tell you that 
they are wrong, whoever attacks you. And what you're doing, I think, is wonderful and important. And you're literally helping people, both men and women, understand better ways to communicate and even just the basic understanding of not everyone are misbehaving. Maybe no one is misbehaving. <laughs> this notion of allowing people to be who they are. And uh, we mentioned generosity quite often, but specifically in this season, we are exploring a different notion or like a sub-notion of generosity, and that is the right to feel. We look at men and women as you say, most of the men, most of the time, and most of the women, most of the time. And we identify, they have different mechanisms of the way that they feel. And a lot of times society and the people we love, they don't understand the differences. They don't understand the mechanisms. And then they either maybe jump to conclusions and get hurt, or they don't know how to operate or even they just uh, think about themselves as simple and not complicated and then <laughs> they don't really understand they, they do have feelings <laughs> I'm just laughing Sim, because when when I have told men that I've been studying men since 1991 the most common response is are you slow <laughs> And they think we're simple, like, so you must be really slow. And I counted it up this morning. Right now we have 73 hours of video in our online curriculum, just sorting out for women to understand men and men to understand women and women to understand men understanding women and why men, men understanding why women don't understand them. And yeah, right. Simple, not simple. You're so not simple. You're but you are direct, right? You're not complicated. You're complex, but you're not complicated. Women are complicated. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes we mean to be, but mostly we don't mean to be. Can I go back to where we started with generosity? Please. Yeah, sure. Okay, thank you. So, you know, Ziv, since you're participating in our curriculum, that I call myself a dictionary girl, right? And I noticed in 1997, the transformational power of generosity. And I wanted to know why. Why is generosity transformational? How could it be so powerful? And where does it come from? What allows someone to be generous? And so I started with the dictionary. And generous comes from, oh my gosh, it comes from the same word that means noble, one of the definitions of generosity is ample, which proved to be the secret that, and it's why I got a little confused by your questions of when you said that I'm so generous with men and have I paid a sacrifice? And if you'd stopped there, I would have had a different answer because the whole idea of generous and generosity is that you're not sacrificing, that those are actually opposites. They're opposing so anywhere that you're sacrificing, you can't be generous. And anywhere that you have plenty and you can share and still not be sacrificing, that's the experience of generosity. 
So if I have four extra hours and I don't give you five, (laughs) which women do all the time, they have four extra hours and then they give away five and now they're in sacrifice. If I have four extra hours and I give you two, that's good for you, good for me. I got to be generous, right? There's a big spiritual lift from getting to be generous. And whether it's time or money or quality like patience, Patience is a quality of generosity. It's a quality of having more than enough time, Mm. right? Mm. I have more than enough time. Compassion. Compassion. I have more than enough mental space and emotional space to care about what it's like for you, not just care about what it's like for me, right? Which is what you were talking about, Ziv. The kind of marriages that you're up to people will only have extraordinary relationships from being in a space of generosity, from having handled having more of enough for themselves. And I don't mean like that they got enough, right? Enough is from instinct, there's never enough of anything. But we can say, we can decide, okay, he loves me enough. He's listened to me enough. He's paid enough attention to me. He's provided enough for me, right? He gives me enough of the things that I need. I don't need to keep grasping to try to get more from this person. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. That's beautiful. For me, when I came up with the idea to call this the Generous Marriage Podcast, it was from my practice where I work with couples. And one of the things that I do, the main thing that I do at the end of the process in a way that the peak of the process is help them speak to each other from a place where they feel their backbone. Mm-hmm. They know how much they have in yes. a sense and they're open-hearted yes. and they're just in the middle there. Mm-hmm. And then generosity just emerges, just arises from this uh, attitude, from this uh, mind-body space. And I just love the way you described it so Articulately, thank you. I love the way you described it. <laughs> From a second language, it's just so much more pure, right? <laughs> the, it's just the essence. Well done. One of the things we paid attention to is that you can reverse engineer it. Oh man, you totally made me cry. If you think about what do you want to be generous with. Or what does the person you love need you to be generous with? And then backtrack. Okay, so what would I need to truly be that? When I talk to women about being generous with the form of appreciation (laughs) that is right up there for men, right? The form of appreciation called sex. So backtrack to what do I, what do I need to be overflowing, to be overflowing with affection, to be overflowing with desire, because that's a huge part of what men need is willingness is the booby price, right? <laughs> yeah. So to back it up into, so how do I take care of what I need so that I can be happy, thrilled, delighted to give my partner what they need? And I haven't found anything that can't be reverse engineered that way, that we can back all the way up to, okay, so so if I have this much sleep and I take a shower and I get to move my body because that'll put me in it, that and the shower and the sleep, I'll actually be in my body, which when I'm in my body, then I like my husband to be in my body. Mm -hmm. 
It's okay we're talking about sex, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's better. I, it's better. Okay, well, I saw it on your website, so I figured it was probably a topic, which made me really happy. But it's a generosity to take care of yourself in such a way that you want your partner. That's beyond hot. That's awesome. I see generosity as the magic sauce for partnerships. Mm-hmm. So the partnership by itself is important. You share dreams and you share a home and you share a life and you share kids. But then so many things come in the way of the communication and you forget to stay in the partnership to actually work together. And what generosity does is like a post-it note on your relationship. <laughs> like a what? Like a post-it note. Okay, awesome. It's the noble quality. A knight that decides that he will be helping other people. So it's the vow for people that are married to give the extras that you mentioned so eloquently. Ziv, can I tell Alison about the post-it? Oh, yeah. Notes that you do? Alison, Ziv really walks his talk. So yeah. after we made an episode, or maybe even before, but we were talking about gratitude and how important it is to be grateful. Mm-hmm. And he just decided to write grateful notes to his wife and kids and on post-it notes and put them all over his yes. house. Yes. And the house is full of post-it notes with gratitude. <laughs> and they loved it and started That's writing awesome. back. How old are your kids? It's uh, 5, 8, and 11. So, wow. Yeah, the eight-year-old girl, she will eventually come during the day sometime and will ask, Daddy, did you already make me the post-it note? Because I didn't notice that it's there. Like, she's amazing. She just uh, knows exactly how to get what she needs and just wonderful. <laughs> That's awesome. So you're doing so many things. What's more, most exciting for you these days? Wow. Well, Ziv said another one of my you know, ring my bell words, partnership. And I've been in a project now. Oh my gosh, how long? So all of our partnership courses have been in person. The first one was working with horses to teach women how to communicate in a paradigm of respect because our instincts have us communicate from like me, I want you to like me. I want you to know I like you. I'm going to make sure we always like each other. And they didn't realize how much in communicating with men, they were saying, I don't respect you. I don't respect you. I don't respect you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They didn't know that's what they were communicating when they were doing what they were doing to try to be liked. You guys are both nodding. Yes. Yes. You're like having one of our instant panels, right? In our workshops, you're like having a panel for me. Thank you. This is awesome. I would start earlier, by the way, so you don't have to do this in the middle of the night. We could do this again at a decent hour. It's too much fun. So my thing is partnership. It's the whole, it's there in our curriculum for the, from the very beginning. It's just like baby steps. Like, for example, respecting transition time, right? That someone who's focused needs transition time. It's a generosity to respect it, to give them that time to hold your needs back, Right? For maybe a half an hour instead of hit someone when they walk through the door. 
And that's a way to be on their team. That's a way, which is one of the definition of partners, right? On the same team. So we've been distinguishing, starting with horses, crossing over to using ballroom dancing, which may sound strange, but it's an awesome way to learn partnership and have partnership conversations. <laughs> like to embrace a process of clarification. Our instincts say everything is obvious. I shouldn't have to ask. I shouldn't have to tell. Why are you so, stu- so stupid? You don't already do it. Right? Both men and women think that. Which is why we always forget, Ziv, we're always going to forget the partnership thing to do because there's not a single instinct that tells us to do it. And so something like, okay, if I'm going to ask you for what I need, first, I'm going to commit to what I need, right? No fishing, right? (laughs) Don't ask someone else to invest in what you need before you have, right? So now I'm committed and I figured out how to explain it best I can. But I'm not going to ask you until, first of all, I believe that you're willing and able to do it, that no manipulation is required, and I'm committed to not manipulating, and I'm going to engage in a process of clarification so that whatever your first interpretation is of what I've asked, that's going to be appreciated, right? That's going to be the beginning of clarifying, because what you do is going to tell me what I wasn't clear about, Does that make sense? Instead of when you don't get it right, that's going to tell me what's wrong with you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. If you don't get it exactly right, you don't win a thousand points. That's telling me I need to be clear. Nice. Right? And what if we never asked our partners for anything until we were committed to being in a process of clarification? That that we were going to keep, we call them clues, right? Do you have the warmer, colder, hot game? Where you grew up, did you play warmer, colder, hot? Uh, like when you get near something, it gets warmer? Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, partnership, a big part of partnership is being willing to play the warmer, colder, hot game, which means that you have to make a move in order to get a clue, right? And you have to get clues for the next move to get closer to what you need. And most people are running around withholding clues and accusing other people of being clueless. that was like two amazing instagram quotes just the (laughs) last twitter quotes like this just mind-blowing so what is it with partnerships that is exciting for you is there some sort of a new course that you're coming up with or any new projects well yes so i am publishing a course called the heart of partnership and it's it's huge. It's like an elephant. It's the biggest thing I've ever taken on. I've already published 15 sessions of it, of the course online. And I only like a third of the way through all the material that we've recorded. And, <laughs> and I still have probably 12 or 15 more hours to record to wow. keep all my promises. And then it takes, you know, two and a half times longer to edit it. So I'm probably going to work on it all year. What I love about it is, to your question about partnership, is most people, when they think about what they want to do, like what they want to accomplish, what they want to experience, or what they want to provide, or what they want to achieve, or what they want to learn even, the human mind, as soon as you start thinking about what it is that you want, 
if you get really excited about it, that excitement is a huge investment of energy. Can you see that? You guys call it caring, right? And you're very careful <laughs> about what you care about because you can feel how much energy it's going to take, right? So as soon as we start to really care about something, part of our own survival is what I call the how monster. So the how monster will go, but how? But how can you do that, right? But how can you achieve that? Who do you think you are that you could do something like that? How is that ever going to happen? And it's like the how monster comes in and it's going to eat the what? Like, right? It's just going to devour the what until you can't even remember what you were excited about. You get what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So what happens is our, our dreams, our goals, our passions, they get eaten by the how monster so quickly that we forget them over and over again. And one of the things that's natural for being a human being is then only commit yourself to the things that you have figured out the how. Those are the only things you commit yourself to, that if you can't answer how, you just let the what go. Even if it breaks your heart, you let the what go. And partnership has a different way of answering how. Because then I can commit to things that I can't accomplish on my own. I can commit to things that I don't know how to do, and I don't even know how to figure it out. But I can be like, right? My, get my teeth in that what and keep clarifying the what and envisioning it and getting more and more specific so I could share it with somebody else who it might be a piece of cake for them, right? Like, well, I know how to do that. You do? <laughs> Would you want to do it? <laughs> oh, yeah, I think it's beautiful. And I've waited all my life for somebody to ask me to do something like that. <laughs> oh, okay, now we have a beginning, right? Now we have a beginning. Something could be achieved, could be experienced, could be enjoyed even. You could ha have a generous marriage, right? That you can't possibly do on your own. It's impossible to do on your own. And now it becomes possible. And then what I've been passionate about and Heart of Partnerships all about this is then what? Because... How do you create a partnership? How do you maintain a partnership? How do you restore a partnership when it's blown to smithereens? Because they get blown to smithereens because every human instinct is going to blow it to smithereens. Not a single human instinct supports partnership. Okay, you have to like call time because... <laughs> You're just interesting. It's great. This you were talking about partnership and I was thinking about Zivin and myself and uh -huh. what we do together, I would never have achieved that on my own. I really get what you're saying. I like to yeah. look at it as a process. So once you have the process that works, the what is more important than the how. Because mm. the process helps you find out how the how. And so when you work in a partnership, the what is very important. Once there's an agreement about the what, now mm -hmm. let's figure out together uh, about the how as well. May I tell you one of the ways we've distinguished that? Sure. So in normal life, most things get accomplished through leadership, right? And there's leaders and there's followers. In partnership, what we've distinguished is that there are receivers and providers. And, and it's a, an orientation, if you will. And that 
if the person who needs something or has a dream, right, that's the receiver. And their job is to define the what as clearly as they can. And then when they ask for their what, then it's the provider's job to understand the what and then decide how. So the provider gets to decide how to deliver what the receiver asked for. Now, you guys already know where this is going because one of the biggest problems in most relationships is that a woman will want to tell a man what to do and how to do it. Yeah. Yes? Yes. The perfect way to do it. Exactly. So way, yeah. how you can help me is do something my way. That's a good help me. <laughs> and if you don't do it my way, that was no help at all. It's flawed. So then what happens though, okay, let me see if I can do this. So a receiver says what they need. The provider gets clear about it and then thinks about how they would do it. And then when they think about how they would do it, then they have to think about what do they need from the receiver to execute their how. Well, that's interesting. So now the providers become a receiver. They have a need. So then they got to tell the receiver the what, and the receiver's got to figure out how to give the provider what they need for the provider to give them what they needed. Nice. It's a dance. And you have to unwind all the way down to the initiating event. Can I give you an example? Please. So I know a couple. He's an emergency room doctor. By the time he's done with his days and days at the hospital, his wife is starving for attention, affection, acknowledgement. He comes home and he needs to sleep for a day. Mm-hmm. And she's just crazed because... He's here. He ought to be paying attention to me. When we unwound this, really all she needed was while he was at the hospital, once every eight or 12 hours or so, all she needed was for him to text her. That if he texted her, that was all the attention and affection and I care about you that she needed. And if he did that, when he came home, she could just let him sleep. Well, that sounds really simple. Just text me every eight to 12 hours, right? No, not for an emergency room doctor. <laughs> not for a man who, when he's not saving lives, he's trying to sleep at the hospital. So we had to unwind it that what he needed to send her a text was for her to send him a text. <laughs> it's like a miracle. So when she wants attention, or affection, or to connect with him, she just texts him. And then as soon as he's done saving a life, he looks at his phone and he texts her back. Beautiful. End of problem that it lasted Everybody's over a happy. day. Everyone win, even the patients win. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the patients, right? Yeah. It's a win-win. Good, win. yeah. Good point. We have a few questions that are a little bit more specific They relate to your curriculum and your approach. And we would love to pick your brain. Okay. Well, I was just checking my schedule because I couldn't... I knew we were scheduled for an hour, but I didn't know when my next appointment is. So I have space. You can ask me questions. Great. Wow. Thank you. Amazing. So you talk in your book and in your programs, in the Queen's Code book and Understanding Men about this concept of emasculation, and we've discussed this topic in all sorts of ways. 
criticism is a type of emasculation and denying someone from pleasures and all sorts of things that you deny is a type of emasculation. And there's all sorts of types of diminishing someone from his power, as you say. And you, as you even told us in the story with Howard Stern and all of that, mm-hmm. you believe that a better way to live in this world would be to give up on the right to emasculate. And our question is, what do you do when your wife doesn't really want to give up that right? She thinks she has the right to emasculate men. Mm. <sighs> okay. Can I illuminate emasculate for people who aren't familiar? Yeah, please. Okay. I'll try to do the simple part. So... In the dictionary, emasculate, it says to deprive of virility. And if you think about the masculine or what I prefer to call hunting mode, because women experience it so much too, it's all about producing results. It's all about getting things done. It's all about accomplishment. It's all about protecting and providing, right? Get her done, get her done, get her done. And it's interesting. His name is Tomer. (laughs) He's Israeli. Tomer Elam, he once said, emasculation is diminishing my ability to produce results. Mm -hmm. And that just sunk it. Like, yes, that's what to look out for. Are you diminishing someone's ability to produce results? Because many women think that they have to protect a man's feelings. But your feelings don't necessarily diminish your ability to produce results. And... Trying to have men feel good all the time is having terrible things happen. I don't know if you have a self-esteem movement in Israel, but it is devastating young men in the U.S. It's terrible. That's a whole other, (laughs) that's a similar topic. They're being emasculated by people afraid of emasculating them. So when you diminish someone's ability to produce results, whether it's a man or a woman, or what we discovered is we do it to ourselves, that's going to be normal right? We don't understand each other. We're frustrated. We're not getting what we need to do something that diminishes a a person that takes away their energy or their confidence or their, their commitment to do something, right? If we diminish that, it's just going to happen from time to time. So what we ask for is the thing that makes it keep happening and never get broken as a habit And that is not just that we diminish someone, but then we justify having diminished them. We make a whole argument for that they deserved it. They deserved to be diminished. They didn't do it my way, right? They deserved to be diminished because they were ignoring me, because they weren't listening to me, because they weren't paying attention to me, because they went all the way to the store and didn't come back with what I asked for. (laughs) Right. And so there's this idea, and you talked about in the beginnings of that another person is misbehaving. And because they're misbehaving, which literally means they know the right thing to do and they're not doing it on purpose. So that's what we believe about each other. We believe that other people know the right thing to do and are intentionally choosing to not do it. And that person, yeah, and that person deserves to be punished, right? (laughs) They deserve to be diminished. And so I have every right to diminish them 
in fact, and I this is one of the things I've seen amongst women that IAA is we think if we don't punish misbehavior, we're misbehaving. It is my duty to punish you for not behaving like a perfect woman. Otherwise, the world is going to go to hell from the effects of testosterone. So many women believe that. And the worst thing is so many men believe it now. Men have become self-emasculating. Right. That makes sense? Yep. Okay. So having said all that, Ziv, I'm going to tell you a secret. Okay. <laughs> so I'm always paying attention to what you can do, right? Whoever's listening to me, what you can do. So if women want to stop bringing out the worst in men, give up the right to emasculate him and learn how to break the habit, right? You can do that. If a man wants to protect the best in himself, we call it holding your space. It's a concept of partnership. And I'm going to tell you a bad thing, Ziv, but it's a good thing. Okay? You ready? Ready. You have to agree to be emasculated. And you don't have to agree to be emasculated. You are the one that has to invest in that what she said means something about you that diminishes you instead of that what she said means she's scared to death. That what she means is what she means by doing that is she has no better tools for getting what she needs. What that may mean is that she's she lacks the courage, which both men and women, the instincts of men and women tell us don't expose ourselves. That's a stupid thing to do, to come right out and tell someone what you need, to expose that you have a need and what the need is, and now they can use it against you. That's idiocy. That's what our instincts tell us. So criticism is a way to communicate what you need while feeling like you're armored. Mm-hmm. Right? Right? If you say it in a critical way, it makes you feel not exposed, like you've put something up in front of you. It's cold in here. Why is it so cold in here? Why have you let it be so cold in here? Right? And it's and it's an expression of what I've seen in both men and women that to come right out and say we need something, we don't do it until our anger at not having what I we need is bigger than our fear of exposing ourselves. Does that make sense? So is our anger bigger than the fear? I'm not sure. Well, when you go without what you need long enough, you can go from irritation to fury. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I mean, it's just a natural process for things that you really need. And the things you really need, one way to distinguish what you really need is that they have a big cost from you not getting them. And they have a big payoff for you getting them. This is why I talk to women about sex so much for men. Because the cost of not having enough sex is huge. Mm-hmm. Huge in his productivity. Huge in his ability to focus. Huge in his ability to connect with his partner and with the world. I mean, the costs are, the costs are enormous. And the benefits are enormous. Same thing with sleep. Not getting enough sleep, huge costs. Getting enough mm-hmm. sleep. Huge benefit. Yeah. Time alone, there's like, yeah, there's probably like 10 things that people really need. (laughs) 
And going without them, I mean, I was talking about respect, right? Women don't know how to show men respect. And so that's one of the things that men need because how can you produce results if you don't have respect? You mentioned having a caveman attack earlier, Ziv. You want to cause a caveman attack. Sorry, you had a caveman attack, not cavewoman. I mean, that's how you cause a caveman attack. Be disrespectful. But most women don't even know they're being disrespectful when they are. Right. No, I really love what you said. You said some profound things that I want to say again in my own Hebrew way. Awesome. You mentioned the boy crisis. You mentioned, you called it, how did you say, the empowerment uh, movement? So It's called the self-esteem movement. Self-esteem movement. It's all about making people feel good about themselves all the time. Oh, got it. So I was thinking you were talking about what Warren Farrell calls the boy crisis and how mm. we emasculate boys. Mm. And he says the solution will come from mothers. Because as men, we have a hard time talking about being emasculated. Mm. But the way that you offer that we can take a positive perspective and not feel emasculated by, by what she says and understand the deeper motives, the deeper causes of it, and then not feel emasculated because we can see deeper and maybe even dare to be vulnerable with, with each other. Can I tell you another way, Ziv, that you can deal with this? Yes. Okay. <laughs> If you're wondering where I'm coming from, Claire was so excited for me to talk to you two today. And so she shared with me about how much you contribute in the Understanding Men Facebook and how, how much she, she wanted you to know what to do about this. Um, and she really appreciates you. And do you know that Claire's my daughter? No. Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah, she's my elder daughter. And she's been working for me since she was 15 years old. Yeah, wow. she's brilliant. Wow. So, okay, so in our partnership work, we call it holding our space, which the opposite would be to collapse your space. Mm. And so when anyone is emasculated, male or female, we've collapsed our space. So that thing you were saying, Ziv, about being generous, about being in your backbone, mm. right? Being in your backbone and being centered and grounded and there, that's holding space, You were describing literally holding space. So what happens is someone does something, like a wife criticizes her husband, and it's just as what it is until you think, you think it, I think it, I watch my husband think it when I do something. When we think, I can't handle this, when we imagine this is too much for me, Right. Or this is bigger than me. Can you see the, how the how monster would collapse our space? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know how to deal with this. I can't deal with this. The moment we imagine that we can't handle it, it's true. We can't handle it. Yeah, we collapse. Yeah, we collapse. So the trick is actually to use the same function of your mind making pictures, right? to do it on purpose. So what I do, I'm a backpacker. Do you, you uh -huh. know backpacking? Yes. Israelis love back backpacking. Yeah. Oh, I love backpacking. So I imagine that I have a, a tent pole through the top of my head, right? And then I have the 
the stakes that keep the sides of the tent out. And that when I've collapsed my space and now I like can't think and I'm all messed up, that 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 it's just like the sides have gone. <laughs> and but that doesn't mean I don't have a pole. <laughs> right? I still have the pole. I'm still connected to the eternal, right? Crown chakra, all the way down through the feet into the earth. I still get the pole. I can always find myself again, right? And then I just imagine like going (laughs) push it back out again. And I picture like a terrarium, right? And just just put some oxygen in here. And as soon as I do that, I'm back. I'm back. And the person is still criticizing. The person is still (laughs) trying to manipulate me. The person is still giving me a deluge of details that have nothing to do with me. But it's almost like the, like the volume was turned down, right? They just kind of like, I don't feel the sting anymore. Like I can tell they're upset, but the sparks are hitting the edge of my tent and falling down instead of hitting me. Okay, I want to know what you think about this. Then. I love the metaphor. A great use of metaphor to come back into your power. And you can do it with your body with the power pose as well. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, Sakhar, is that the split in the curtains behind you looks like a pole going right into the top of your head. Ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's how I walk in the world. <laughs> That's awesome. For me, it's real. There's a pole. There. <laughs> I just noticed that. That's so funny. So you're basically saying, in other words, that another way to deal with the emasculation, with not giving up the right for emasculation, is by either identifying the underlying reasons for the criticism or for the emasculations, like fear and cave women attack, as examples, mm-hmm. and the need for connection, and either that or to recollect yourself and like blow the air back into your tent in a way. Mm-hmm. In using your own imagination to picture, this isn't bigger than me. This isn't bigger than me. Nothing is bigger than me. Bring it on. I can handle it. I mean, I like handling it, but I am not agreeing to be diminished. Yeah. You it. may not have given up the right to diminish me, but I am withdrawing permission to diminish you. Now it clicked. Thank you. Ah, that's, that's very powerful. Wow. Wow. Uh, this is actually just part one of the interview with Alison. We, we were taking this interview to even deeper uh, realms of understandings and, and debate on the human condition. And what is the number one take uh, that you got from this part of the interview, Shachar? She's so wise. Wow. I was overthrown by her uh, wisdom. And I always thought and think that she is so generous with men. And today I feel like she took it another step when we were talking about emasculation and about uh, what happens if my wife doesn't give up her right to emasculate you. 
the horizon that she gave for us men of how to be able to see through that and be able to see that she's actually scared. In those moments when she's doing something that feels emasculating to me, I don't have to be emasculated. I can be noble. I can see beyond it. I can see that my partner is scared and do something that would make her feel more safe. I think that's brilliant. You know, that's a differentiation move and that doesn't leave us hanging on our wives, on our women's state. Yeah. And I think that it's even, we men sometimes, we limit ourselves with how noble are we willing to be in essence, in, in, in real life. That's what we do when we get offended again and again and again by emasculation. And I know it would be way better if there was no emasculation, but we men, we can be the noble men. We can, we can actually uh, see through it and we can learn to improve the way that we respond. And I feel like even just saying that here now, talking about that, giving every one of us you know, permission to be noble, to be a noble man, to be a noble woman uh, is a huge a huge message. And that's what uh, I hope you guys are taking from this interview today. Next week on the Generous Marriage Podcast, we are going to hear the second part of the interview where Alison is going to answer some power questions with some power answers that can empower your relationships. Um, but before we go there, Shahar, you've prepared some bonus document for the listeners of the Generous Marriage Podcast. Can you tell us all about that? Yeah, I think it's actually a great bonus. It's about men and women and what is good for us, what is nourishing for men, what is nourishing for women. Uh, I think it's really valuable information building on Alison's uh, work and summarizing it in a, in a different way. And I think it's a topic that is really important. Uh, this is like really the, the, the overarching a reason of this season, season two, the, the right to feel, the, this opportunity that all of us can acknowledge that we have our own mechanisms of feelings, of how we feel stuff, of how we uh, perceive the world, but also our partners does as well. So if you go into the website, generousmarriage.com, you could find on today's episode, uh, which is season two, episode four, uh, you could find a button to download for free a PDF that summarizes some of our insights from Alison's work and from our own work. Shachar, you're a licensed therapist. You work with couples and you help them overcome those things. And sometimes just the psychoeducation, just learning about some of our characteristics as men most of the time and of women most of the time, that helps. And sometimes even help, it helps in a, in a surprising way where you think you're going to learn about women, but you learn about men and you learn about right. yourself and whatnot. So it's all about, right. you know, uh, learning about some tendencies for the human condition, hunters, gatherers, and so on. Um, guys, see you next week on the Generous Marriage Podcast. If you liked today's episode, please make sure you make a post on Facebook or uh, wherever you are on social media. Uh, with the link to generousmarriage.com. That will mean a lot to us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. See you next week.